Welcome back to the Society Case Files podcast. My name is Robert Hazelton, and I'll be your host. Today, we're going to talk about massively multiplayer online role-playing games. Then I'm going to review the expansion for Vermintide 2, Winds of Magic. I'll also talk about Rebel Galaxy Outlaw and the movie The Kitchen. Got a lot to talk about, so I'm going to dive right in. Thanks for stopping by. Massively multiplayer online role-playing games have been around for a really long time. I have been playing them since Ultima Online, but as far as history goes, I thought I'd take a quick step back and sort of discuss the games as they came out and then the impact they had on me in general. The first one that I was able to find anything about is the Neverwinter Nights Gold Box game, which came out in 1991. Uh, They shut it down in 1997. So that was a AOL, SSI, TSR, and uh, Stormfront Studios venture. Uh, Basically, it was like all those old gold box games like Pool of Radiance and uh, Curse of the Azure Bonds, those games, but it was online. And it uh, had a server capacity of 50 players at the beginning. Eventually, that went up to 500. Uh, They had 115,000 players at the end of their run. Uh, You had to pay by the hour with AOL, I found out, and uh, battle was real-time. People could just sort of jump in, help out, attack you, all kinds of things. There were leaderboards. They logged in a ridiculous amount of hours on the game. It was actually pretty cool-sounding for the most part. Unfortunately, we had Prodigy. We didn't have AOL, so I couldn't have really played the game when it came out back in 1991. But I can tell you I probably would have played the hell out of it. So right after that shut down, Ultima Online came out now. This is the one that I played. It was the first game that I ever spent 100 bucks on because I got the super special edition. It came with three months of game time, a cloth map, very traditional Ultima stuff. Now, just taking a step back, Ultima is what I grew up on. I played Ultima games on the Commodore 64. I eventually played them on our first IBM. I just loved them. Uh, Lord British, he... He won me over big time. I'm probably one of the few people who really, really loves Ultima 9. I still have nostalgia for it, uh, even with all of the promises that uh, they didn't deliver on. But anyway, as Ultima Online came out, I got pretty excited about the idea of playing those kinds of games in an online setting. Uh, Of course, it wasn't what I thought it would be, but the very beginning, day one specifically, I don't really think anyone cared. You know, there weren't quests. There wasn't some overarching uh, plot to follow. You just showed up in Britannia and started wandering around doing stuff. Now, on day one, it pretty much looked like a riot. People running around with no clothes on, attacking each other, murdering anything that moved, running around screaming random stuff in the chat, Uh, typing, gibberish, profanity, you name it. It was absolutely insane. It was like society broke down and that was being depicted in the Ultima universe. Uh, Once once people settled down, it it became more of of an entertaining thing to do, but it was a sandbox where you had to make your own adventure. You basically decided, you know what, our guild is going to save up the money and we're going to build a tower and we're going to put it somewhere. Uh, I remember when our guild chose to do that, and we found a bunch of uh, sneaky ways to make some money. We were making cloth shirts, teleporting around to the different towns, selling them, racking up the gold, putting it into the bank. And finally, we did buy a deed, and we went out to place the house. Well, 
by that time, the game had been out for a while, and the real estate was really hard to come by. When we finally did find a spot, my friend who put it down uh, immediately had a thief steal his key and log off in the house. So then we had to camp our own house pretty much 24-7 until the guy logged back in so that we could kill him and get our key back. It was, it was absolutely crazy. One of the interesting things about it is that when it first came out, they dramatically underestimated how exciting an online game would be. There was only three servers. Uh, that quickly changed. I think there were six by the end of the night, and by the end of the weekend, there was uh, quite a few more. But anyway, I have a ton of really crazy stories from Ultima Online. All of them are self-generated. No quests. Things like going to dragon lairs and creating runes that uh, you could use to teleport with and then renaming them things like my house and then, you know, a thief would steal them and end up in the dragon lair and get eaten. That's just some of the small things that you would have to do to protect your goods in Ultima Online. So... Uh, it's still going on. Uh, they renamed it, from what I understand, and there's a graphical improvement and stuff, but it lasted quite a while. I even remember revisiting it at one point, and there was a whole bunch of quests that you could do. So they did do a lot of improvement even after uh, Richard Garriott left the uh, the table. After that, in 1999, EverQuest came out. So this game pretty much owned me. Uh, I was attending college at the time, and I played it way, way, way too much. I would even play it in a window while I did my homework. So EverQuest would be in a window at the top of my screen, my homework would be below it, and I would be healing people. Basically, EverQuest, despite the name, didn't have quests. You basically went out, found a place to camp, and killed mobs and leveled up. Uh, The few... Small things that you could turn in generally were bugged. It was actually pretty funny. Now, despite all that, this game has been going on forever, and they just released a new expansion in December. So uh, I don't know when EverQuest is going to go away. I will say that I logged into it semi-recently, probably just last year, and I I couldn't get into it, even, even with the attempt to have some nostalgia, start a brand new character. No, it just, it wasn't going to happen. But uh, it was a great game for the time. Awesome graphics. Uh, the player versus player was super fun. I loved how the different factions worked. Uh, there's some nostalgia for standing around in the commons tunnel shouting that you want to sell or buy something. But for the most part, I don't really miss the uh, the old school elements of it. We're going to get to old school elements in a moment, in fact. But let's move on to the next game, which is Dark Age of Camelot. And that came out in 2001. Now, the first time I saw it was really funny because I was in an arcade with all the cabinet gaming, uh, arcade games, and in the back they had a whole bunch of computers set up that you could go rent and and land game with your buddies or even play online. And I was watching a guy, this is the equivalent of streaming back in 2001, I was watching a guy play Dark Age of Camelot. Now, I'd played a lot of EverQuest, but it looked so similar. I was like, what am I missing? Does he have mods? Is there an upgrade? I hadn't played for a couple months, but I couldn't imagine it had changed that dramatically. So finally asked him and he told me what it was. I immediately left, went and bought it and installed it. And it turned out to be a really fun game. I did suffer after level 20. I really couldn't progress without a group. But it had so many cool aspects. The three different factions were neat. They were they had completely different races and classes. 
the realm versus realm player versus player thing was really neat. They did try to bring that back in their version of Warhammer Online, but uh, that that game got smacked by the EA stick. But uh, regardless, apparently uh, Dark Age of Camelot is about to come back out. Uh, something Phoenix something is what I read are putting out a uh, sort of like the uh, World of Warcraft classic. Uh, so the Dark Age of Camelot's doing the same thing, which makes sense because Camelot Unchained, which is sort of a, I don't know if it's necessarily a complete sequel or a spiritual successor. I think the people who worked on Dark Age are working on that. Um, that's not coming out for a while still. And which is strange considering that I saw adverts for it way back, several years by now. Um, and then I hadn't heard anything. In fact, I was only just reminded of it when I started compiling the information I'm talking about right now. Anyway, I think that people are getting really nostalgic for these classics, and that's probably because the MMO world has been just saturated with stuff. A lot of Far East MMOs like uh, Black Desert, Lineage, that kind of thing, sort of finally made their way over here to the U.S., and it's a very different style of gaming because it is just a grind. You just go around killing monsters and racking up the experience that way, and People here have sort of come to expect quests to drive the uh, the grind a little more. But uh, anyway, after Dark Age of Camelot came out, that, that arena of MMOs just got thick. And I would really blame World of Warcraft on that for the most part. And we're going to still get to that in a moment. But I'm going to talk about some of the other random games first. There was uh, Earth and Beyond. I absolutely love that game. I had a great time with it. It was made by the people who made Command & Conquer, Westwood. You were always in your ship. You flew around and blew stuff up. They all had different sort of weapons to play with. It was actually really cool, but it didn't last very long. It came out in 2002, and it was done real quick. Uh, There was Shadowbane. That was a neat little fantasy MMO. We had City of Heroes and Villains. I really loved the customization in that. I had a great time playing that game. It did get a little stupid, when you get a full group and do one of the big like story arc missions, there would just be so many villains on the screen or, or adversaries on the screen that you you basically not even be able to see stuff. But other than that, it was really neat. And I loved the travel system. You could get like super jump or flight, all that stuff. Really, really cool. After that, they had Champions Online, which was kind of an improved version of City Heroes. But, uh, you know, it had uh, it had its own problems. Uh, it got very difficult after level 20 as well. And more interestingly, is it still technically on? You could still play it, but apparently they haven't updated it in a very long time. Uh, Auto Assault was one that I really loved. It has a great soundtrack. I still listen to it occasionally. Think of it as Car Wars the MMO. Uh, the environment was destructible. And once again, you got to a certain level and the game was almost impossible to continue to play. Uh, I just, I struggled to survive. And maybe I was doing something wrong, but considering the game got shut off pretty shortly after uh, it came out, I would say that uh, a lot of people experienced the same thing. Just to throw out a list of a few more, we got Neverwinter, Star Trek Online, Age of Conan. It just became so huge. And people, I think, were desperate for things that weren't fantasy. So they were latching on to stuff that was science fiction or modern day and that kind of thing. I've got a couple of standout MMOs that I really want to talk about before I get to World of Warcraft. One of them is The Secret World. I thought The Secret World was a great idea. 
you obviously listening to this know that I am an urban fantasy nut job because I've got a huge series based on it. So when The Secret World came out and I got to see those screenshots, I was immediately sold. I played the beta and I thought, this is great. This is going to appeal to a lot of people who aren't really interested in the fantasy stuff. Unfortunately, the first iteration of The Secret World was actually a very complex game. The skill trees were just crazy. They called them decks, and you basically built uh, your character around a series of passives and uh, active powers. And each of them had so many bonuses that you had to weigh and, and think about that it really excluded casual players. Even though there were some pre-built decks, they just weren't good enough to compete in the game. In fact, it took me forever to finish the first three uh, scenarios, um, which were New England, Egypt, and Transylvania. And when Japan came out finally, I was really excited. I couldn't wait to jump in. But they added a new sort of grindy system that made it almost impossible to to dive right in. You couldn't do it. You needed to gain more power in this new system they made up before you could even fight some of the monsters. I mean, they were literally invulnerable if you didn't have the right stuff to kill them. I think that ultimately that is what their downfall was, is that they leaned way too heavily on the hardcore player side of things. And while that did last for them for quite some time, I remember when the next version was about to come out, I thought, you know, I'm ready to go back. Screw it. I'm just going to grind, do whatever it takes. I really want to see the end of Japan. I got to see the end of the story. I put so much time into this anyway. So I go to look and lo and behold, they have this new website and it's Secret World Legends. And this is a new version of the game that's on the verge of coming out. At first, I thought it was a sequel, which got me pretty excited sort of, because I was nervous that I had missed so much story. But you know what? I was willing to embrace the opportunity for another game. And then I quickly found out this was sort of a a redo of The Secret World. In fact, it was a complete reimagining of the combat system. Graphics, eh, mildly improved, but mostly it was an adjustment of the systems in place. And it was free to play. Which was interesting because, if I recall correctly, I paid a pretty penny for The Secret World. Uh, If you paid for that uh, patron, the lifetime patron, they did transition that over for you. So you still got some pretty cool stuff. And you could subscribe still. If you subscribed, you did get a considerable advantage over people who didn't. Uh, You got extra experience. You got more ability points, more skill points, so on and so forth. Anyway... When the Secret World Legends started, I jumped right in. I played the heck out of it. I actually got to see the end story for Japan. All of those systems that were just built for the grind had been removed. And so it was was a lot of fun. I will say it was dramatically simplified. If I thought that the other one was too hardcore, this one was probably too casual. They completely ostracized the theory crafters who probably loved the game to begin with. Now... They did draw in a rather large group at the beginning. It was it was pretty jam-packed. But the further you get into the game, the harder the quests become and the less you see people. Now, its biggest problem is that once you finish everything, there's really nothing to do. You could continue to advance your gear, but it is just painful. And unless you spend some real money, you uh, you, you can just expect to literally grind nonstop to get those uh, pieces of gear. Uh, any better than than what you had them at at the end of the story. 
Um, my stuff was actually really nice, and I, I still couldn't uh, get a high enough power level to do the highest-end content. Uh, most of the people I know dropped out of the game much sooner than that. Now, they did promise some new story content after Japan, and they delivered uh, South Africa. It was kind of neat, but you could beat it in about two hours, which was ridiculous considering that New England was just so encompassing. It would take hours upon hours to do, It was, and it was very in-depth. South Africa was pretty lackluster, and it ended with a cliffhanger. Now, it's been a very long time, and they have yet to bring up uh, the next part, which would be the Congo. They made it clear in the in the cliffhanger that, that Congo was the next part of the story, but they have been very tight-lipped about anything new. In fact, they announced some new game, um, Moons of Madness, rather than talking about anything Secret World. So that's very disappointing. However, the first three maps even Japan, so four, of Secret World Legends is absolutely worth playing, and I highly recommend doing it. Even free, you should be able to get through without needing all those extra points. You can redo quests, so there's not really any reason to pay if you don't want to. It just makes it a little faster. So, in any event, I had a blast with it. The feel is awesome. The characters are great. It's very quirky. The people who made it up are are genius. I love their world. It's awesome. It was so cool that I actually ran a role-playing game set in the Secret World universe, and it was a it was a total blast. Um, anyway, you should definitely give it a try. It's on Steam, and uh, give it a shot before it goes away. So the next game I want to talk about is Star Wars The Old Republic. This game is, in my opinion, a sort of love-it-or-hate-it situation these days. When it first came out, it was on the tail end of all the classic MMOs in the way that it played. It wasn't as action-y as, say, Guild Wars or uh, Elder Scrolls Online. Now, obviously, Elder Scrolls came out later, but this was still the you set up your skill bar one through whatever, uh, alt one through whatever. You got a lot of powers in it, and I will tell you, they did not really simplify that in the coming expansions. So my character screen it looks ridiculous uh, for my Jedi character. The beta that I played, usually when I play betas for MMOs, I know I'm going to probably play the game for real, so I don't really dive in too much. I just kind of get a feel for it, go, yep, I really like it, or eh, this isn't for me, and move on. This one, I was so impassioned by the opening planet for the Jedi that I played through the entire planet with a buddy, and then we... Uh, actually went on and did the first uh, dungeon. And it was it was amazing. The story in that was just awesome. And you actually could affect the way that things happened. You could, your decisions mattered in the game. And you could be a jackass and be really mean and get dark side points. Or you could be this pure character. And that, that worked for both sides. And I, I can just... I just, I can't stress enough how much I loved this game. I loved it so much that I took every single character class through the game, and in some cases more than once, just to see the story uh, separately. For me, this was like having eight different games in one game to play, and in some cases more than that. So as just a couple of examples. I played a Sith Inquisitor, and I made her a Chiss. So she's an alien in the very xenophobic empire. 
And at one point during the campaign, I encountered a guy who was just a complete ass because she was an alien, even though she was saving his life. And I was able to react appropriately to that by calling him out and even going so far as to fight him over it. And I did it as a human before that, and none of that stuff happened. So they really thought about it. BioWare did a great job with the first three chapters of every character class in the Old Republic, save the Jedi Consular. I could talk a little bit about that too, but I didn't like that one as much. But all the rest were really, really cool. Now, as we were playing through this, my friends and I quickly realized that expansions for the Old Republic were going to be problematic to say the least. The idea that they could even come close to the splendor of those three first chapters was was ridiculous. And they proved us right with the Hut cartel coming out. It was it was a little better than the future ones after it, but it was uh, it was still lackluster comparatively. And then they tried to do the whole a return to Bioware storytelling with their last expansions, and I've got to say they fell flat for me. I did play them. I wasn't really happy about it. Uh, it wasn't as much fun. There was just so many little betrayal things. It's hard to even get into. But the first three chapters, I still stand by being some of the best gaming online available, uh, If especially if you like story and single-player content. Even the PvP was fun, even though I know it gets called Stun Wars because you pretty much just stunlock people. But regardless of that, Star Wars The Old Republic is the best Star Wars entertainment I've had in the last 10 years, save, say, Rogue One. Um, I still recommend it, but, uh, you know, at a certain point, you get to uh, the expansion content and, and just need to stop playing. But... Uh, Anyway, those are my big games that I wanted to talk about, and that leads me to the phenomena of World of Warcraft. Everybody knows about World of Warcraft. Uh, They made so much money that they were able to hire celebrity commercials like William Shatner, Mr. T, um, Ozzy Osbourne, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Pretty much everybody I ran into at least played it for a little while. Uh, Even you'd run into a random person at a bookstore in Barnes & Noble and they'd be talking World of Warcraft. It was incredible. And what's interesting to me is that I had decided to play EverQuest 2 when it came out. And it came out about four weeks before World of Warcraft. Uh, But it was just so buggy that my friends who came with me were like, I can't do this, man. I've got memory leaks. i got other problems. So they jumped ship for World of Warcraft. I stuck with EQ. Uh, until uh, my birthday when someone got me World of Warcraft. Now, the vanilla version, I didn't really like it that much after a certain point. Much like some of the games I talked about before, you really did need to constantly be with people if you played uh, particular classes in order to to, uh, to succeed. And I was playing a warrior. I just I was constantly getting owned. So I stopped playing for a while. Now, when the Burning Crusade came out, I was hooked. It was over. Uh, It's one of the top hour games for me. I've put way too much time into World of Warcraft. In fact, I'm even playing World of Warcraft right now in anticipation of the classic coming out. But everybody already knows the history of World of Warcraft. I'm not going to dive into that so much, but I do want to talk about this classic, classic mode that they're doing as well as the classic mode of uh, Dark Age of Camelot. It's very interesting because we've got so many action-driven MMOs these days. Like Elder Scrolls Online is made for the console. 
you have fewer powers, you move around a lot more, you're hitting a lot more buttons, and it feels a little bit more like something akin to Dark Messiah of Might and Magic, just as an example, or Rune back in the old days. So it's interesting to see this shift to where we're releasing some classic versions for people to get nostalgic about. I didn't think that the World of Warcraft classic was going to be all that popular. Mostly, I saw it as Blizzard sort of cash grabbing after a whole bunch of people were playing vanilla on private servers. And they said, no, 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 you can't do that for a whole variety of reasons some of which were cool to the consumer because they didn't want people getting hosed by having their information stolen or whatever else. And some because they're like, that's a lot of players. We want them to be paying us money. However, I can say that it looks like there is going to be a huge rush of players on these classic servers. How long that will last? I have no idea. If you have a current subscription to World of Warcraft, you'll be able to play a classic or the normal version. I'd am going to give it a try, although it sounds a little painful to me. I figure I will try the Paladin. My friend exploited the Protection Paladin pretty well back in those days, so I thought I'd see if I remember how that worked out. But I think that the problem is we're in a world now where people are like, you know, I'm sick of all these grindy games. I want to get back to the way it made me feel when I first played them, and they think that these classic games are going to present that to them. But what I believe is going to happen is they're going to start playing it and realize that the quality of life improvements in the more modern games far outweigh any nostalgia that you can get from these. Uh, A great example is I went back and played Ultima 4 not too long ago just to check it out. I was like, this is going to be awesome. I cannot wait to dive back into that world. And I quickly lost interest because it was just so painful. Just even the menu, even moving around, trying to save, do common actions like combat and that sort of thing. We've improved all of that so dramatically that any nostalgia is just gone. And I think that that is going to be how these classic games go. The article I read about Dark Age of Camelot, even the writer was like, I don't know how long I'm going to play this. Yeah, I mean, I had some great times and I met some neat people who want to do this, but all around, I'm not entirely sure. So I'm with that guy. I think this might not last very long, but regardless, people are going to have an interesting time, if not great time for the first uh, couple weeks. So I wonder what other classic modes are going to come out. Are, I mean, EverQuest is still going, so they don't need to do a classic mode. And EverQuest 2 hasn't changed significantly to do that, not like World of Warcraft did. So I guess we'll see. I can't wait to uh, see how other game companies sort of react to this type of thing. If they have a property they can bring out of the uh, mothballs to show off. It'd be interesting to see some other old games flux up and uh, show their heads for a short time. But uh, I'm not entirely sure what we're going to see there. But in any event, that is my MMO brush up. And uh, let's move on to something else. I picked up a couple of games the other day that I wanted to talk briefly about. One was the Vermintide 2 expansion, Winds of Magic, and the other one was Rebel Galaxy Outlaw. First, I'm going to talk about Vermintide. It's probably not worth the 20 bucks. I got it on Green Man Gaming for 16, and I still felt like I overpaid. Basically, the new uh, map, it was one map, and it took about 20 minutes to beat, but that was only because of a bug at the end where certain things weren't spawning. 
then there's a grindy thing called the weave where you can build up weapons and and basically do a horde mode. Uh, it's really hard to get into matches. If you're not at the same level as other people, you can be waiting a long time. You can't solo it because you don't bring the bots. So that means that if one of the monsters like a uh, choker or the assassin guy shows up, you're just done. And all around, I would say that uh, Winds of Magic was kind of a fail. It's the first time I feel like Vermintide 2 has failed. I talked about that in a previous uh, episode with Warhammer Gaming. Vermintide 2 has been pretty solid. Yeah, their DLC has been a little questionable as they do things like bring back Vermintide 1 and charge for it. But this one in particular, this one seemed like it would be a big expansion and it really just was not. Uh, I All around, I do not recommend it for anything more than $10. I hate to say that because I love the game and I love the way the characters interact, but that was very expensive for so little gameplay. Let's move on to Rebel Galaxy Outlaw. This is a sort of prequel to the game Rebel Galaxy that came out a couple years ago, I believe. And I had that game. I didn't really get into it. Uh, you could only move around left or right. You couldn't go up or down, and it was a space game. Uh, if you go and look at the Rebel Galaxy Outlaw fact, they do talk about how many people whined about that fact. Um, I will say that my first impressions of the game were fairly negative, but they quickly changed. It is definitely a love letter to the original Privateer game. Uh, this was made by a very small team, and they are incredibly passionate about it. A lot of what you do at the beginning, you had to actually go on their Discord to learn. So, like, as an example, I wanted to do some mining because I had heard that you could make some decent credits that way and advance your character. But I couldn't figure out how to do it. I had to go to the Discord channel and actually ask some questions, and developers for the game were on there, as well as some hardcore players who must have played it in beta, and they were able to help fill in these gaps. But there is no tutorial. There's uh, a lot of sink or swim gameplay going on, which is interesting because they've got some uh, very casual elements to the game, like aim assist and that sort of thing. Uh, the graphics are fantastic. The attitude is awesome. The soundtrack is second to none. And the people who make the game are utterly incredible. I was on the Discord. I actually spoke to the lead developer himself. I gave them some kudos. I brought up some problems. They were very receptive to it. They were pumping out hot fixes based on bugs that people found. They were killing it. It was just awesome. At this point, I can say that Rebel Galaxy Outlaw was definitely worth the $29 price tag, and I highly recommend the game. Unfortunately, it is an epic exclusive, and I know how people feel about that. They are rabid. In fact, they're so rabid that they are giving Rebel Galaxy negative reviews on Steam simply because they put Rebel Galaxy Outlaw on Epic, which is totally ridiculous. This is a game that if you like flight sims, you should play. A couple words of warning. You cannot use a flight stick. Yeah, it technically works, but I will tell you, I spent over an hour trying to get mine to work well, and it was just crap. They recommend GamePad. They push GamePad. In fact, they say it in their fact like five or six times. When I started playing with this stupid GamePad, the game worked fantastic, and I actually started to have fun. I don't know why they allow you to play with mouse and keyboard or a flight stick, especially since the mouse and keyboard are even worse, but they do, and there you go. Play it with a GamePad. You'll have fun. Final thing I want to talk about today is the movie The Kitchen. Went and saw it on opening day, and I have to say I had a lot of fun with it. 
The reviews weren't overly kind, and I kind of get it. It needed to be longer. It needed more exposition. It needed more time to tell its story. But what it did do was, was pretty cool. I think all the actors really sold their lines. They sold their characters very well. But again, it really did need some more time to cook and to really give us the uh, background of what was going on. It felt like everything fell into place way too easy for these characters. I think that's what we really needed was more time to percolate their rise from where they were to where they get to. Uh, If you have no idea what I'm even talking about, The Kitchen is a movie about uh, several women who are the spouses of these dudes who go to prison. Um, They're Irish mobsters. And so these women basically have nothing. They're not going to be able to feed themselves. They're going to get thrown out of their apartments. They live in Hell's Kitchen. And so they decide that they are going to take over the business from their from what their husbands were doing, but more importantly from the local Irish mob boss who is an asshat and hasn't um, taken care of them the way he said he would. So uh, they quickly rise in the ranks to control the environment, and they start working with Italian mobsters, and it's crazy. It's based on a DC comic, according to the credits, and uh, Melissa McCarthy is in it. She actually was amazing. It's a very serious role, and I really enjoyed her in it. But uh, all around, that is The Kitchen. I do feel like it needed more time. I don't think that it was bad enough for the reviews it got, but it it, it didn't deserve, say, high 70s for, uh, for sure. But uh, I would recommend The Kitchen either for a matinee price or wait for it to come out on streaming and catch it then because... Uh, It's definitely worth seeing, but probably not for any real amount of money. All right, that's it for this week. Thank you very much for listening to the show. I appreciate you stopping by. If you liked what you heard and you want to hear more, please be sure to check out our website and keep track of the schedule. You can find us at www.societycasefiles.com or www.roberthazelton.com. Don't forget to follow or support the project at ko dash fi.com slash society case files next episode will air in a week i look forward to seeing you then thanks very much have a great day